This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Weinster is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Weinster, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Weinster is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. McKinley Wright What's up, everybody? Welcome to the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we start talking buffs, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and their app. 
Use code BSN20 to save 20% and have it delivered to your door. Let's jump into the show. All right, guys, today is going to be an awesome show. I'm really excited because, I mean, at least until the season starts, this is when I honestly have the most to tell you. On Saturday, we got to see the Buffs on the field at their open practice at Folsom Field. Um, we learned a lot. After talking about what we expect people to do, what the coaches are telling us, what the players are telling us about what's going on at all their closed practices, we finally got to get our own eyes on the Buffs, on the 2019 Colorado Buffaloes football squad. And... There were some things that looked really good. There were some things that need to be cleaned up. And we're going to get into all of those. And a special surprise, uh, in the third segment, we're going to have Will Sherman on. The preseason All-Pac-12 honorable mention tackle. He's playing left tackle. He's playing right tackle. He and Arlington Hambright, the transfer from Oklahoma State, uh, are still trying to figure out which of those two spots they'll be in. Sounds more like Sherman's going to be right tackle and Hambright's going to be left tackle, but we'll we'll talk more about that later. Uh, like I said, this is going to be a great show. I'm so excited to tell you about everything we learned on Saturday. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, the plan for today is in the first segment, I'm going to talk a lot about the defense. Second segment, I'm going to talk offense. Third segment, we're going to get to Will Sherman, who had some interesting stuff to say. So... The star of camp, Makai Blackman. This surprised me. Um, I'd heard that he's undersized. I heard that uh, being undersized has hurt him and hurt his ability to cover. Makai is a junior cornerback. He's a JUCO transfer. And he's competing for the number two cornerback job. On the depth chart, the coaching staff released at the end of spring practice uh, sophomore cornerback Chris Miller was listed ahead of Blackman. So it was looking like Blackman was going to be the number three guy. Today, or I guess Saturday, Blackman was working with the starters while Chris Miller was working with the twos. So maybe they're just trying guys out in different spots. Maybe Blackman now has a lead for that number two cornerback spot. And I was surprised to see this at first when we're watching the one-on-one -on -one drills. Or I think at first, first was just like a full squad defense only drills, working on positioning, working on uh, filling running lanes, uh, gap responsibilities, that type of stuff. And Blackman was working with the ones, Miller with the twos. After that, they moved into one-on-one -on -one drills. And since Blackman was ahead of Miller in those early drills, I, I, I kept a special eye on him during the one-on-ones, which is obviously a cornerback going up against a receiver with a quarterback throwing the ball. Because I was wondering what these two guys looked like, both uh, Makai and Chris. And Makai was unbelievable. He was trailing guys all over the field. He was right on them. He was so sticky. And he, he did look a little bit small, but it, it didn't cause any problems. You saw him stick to smaller guys like Jalen Jackson on these drag routes, just staying right on the back hip, getting an arm out in front, just textbook pass breakups in these one-on-one -on -one drills. You saw him give a little space. He, he was patient uh, as a receiver was uh, starting his route. I believe it was Tony Brown. Uh, Brown ends up going with a fly route, He's going up the sideline. Chris Miller pushes him outside, gets the inside leverage, stays a half step behind, just kind of trails him, 
they get downfield, balls in the air. Uh, Blackman closes the gap, turns around, jumps up, knocks the ball away. And and that wasn't an easy play to make either. Even though he'd closed the gap and was right on him, it was a good ball that looked like it was going to drop right over his head, but he jumped up and knocked it away. And I was taking notes. And all, all day when I was taking notes, Makai Blackman came up just over and over and over. And then we got into the team drills. And once we got into the team drills, again, Makai Blackman working with the ones, Chris Miller with the twos, Makai was everywhere again. Uh... His first interception came early on in the team drills, uh, came off of Montez, and we'll talk a lot more about Montez's day in the second segment, like I said, but it was good coverage. Treadofia steps up, knocks the ball up in the air. Uh, it's one of those like tips where it hits the offensive player's guy, uh, offensive player's hands, defensive player's hands at the same time, just pops up in the air. Makai's right behind him, grabs the ball, runs up the sideline. First pick of the day uh, for anybody. Then the next uh, team drills session, Makai is playing outside. There's a there's a receiver running a flat a flat route. He's just standing there, you know, line of scrimmage right on the uh, sideline. Uh, another receiver runs an out route. He's you know eight ten yards downfield, uh, breaking toward the sideline. Makai steps up toward the receiver in the flat, like he's going to guard him. That's Montez's read. Montez is looking over there, picking which of those two guys to throw to. This is actually a concept that I feel like I've talked about like at least three times on this podcast already. And to see them run that concept, the exact concept, uh, the offense that I've been talking about, wanting to see them run more, I don't know. It's exciting. Problem is, they didn't run it right. Blackman stepped up. Uh, Montez read that. Threw it to the receiver 10 yards downfield. Makai Blackman took two steps back, jumped up, easy interception. Uh, those were the only two interceptions of the day, both of them from Montez to Makai Blackman. Um, yeah, Makai, he he was the star, easily. He was everywhere. He was strong in coverage. He made plays as well. Just throughout the day, he was very solid. And it's it's weird because we only get to see one of the 25 practices before the season starts. So those could be his only two interceptions of camp. I could be hyping him up when really today was just a crazy outlier. But, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we kind of have to base a lot of our takes off of this one practice. And he played well. And so we're going to talk a lot about him heading into this season, which is exciting because I think I think a lot of people were confident in Delrick Abrams to serve as the number one corner. Uh, Chris Miller is the second corner. You know, you could get yourself excited about just because he was a strong prospect coming into his sophomore year. But after that, there was a, a bit of a lack of depth. And now the fact that Makai Blackman may have even overtaken Chris Miller, that's exciting. Uh, a couple other notes on those two. Obviously, I'm recording this on Monday a couple days later. Uh, we talked to Mel Tucker this morning, and Mel said that Chris Miller impressed him today. He said that he's kind of slowly finding his footing. Again, he's a young guy. It's going to take some time, but he's improving, moving in the right direction. So who knows? By the end of camp, Chris Miller may have taken this job back. Um, also, I talked to Makai today, and Makai told me that He's actually been working at Star as well. 
which is interesting. So Davion Taylor is expected to be the starting star again this season. Um, and we talked a lot. If you don't know what the star is, there's a podcast from sometime last week where I really broke into the history of the position and what it's used for. Makai said he really likes working there. He said he's picking it up quickly. Um, he likes that he's free to roam around a little bit. He isn't just stuck on one guy. He he gets to blitz. He gets to cover. He's stopping the run, and he likes that aspect of it. So that's something to watch. Maybe maybe Chris Miller gets that number two star spot, and uh, Makai Blackman challenges for that starting star role with Davion Taylor. You know, with the way with the way this team is going to rotate this season under Mel Tucker, and he's talked a lot about how he wants. I, I, he said eight or nine guys rotating into the three defensive line spots. So that's quite a bit, and I expect to see something similar in the secondary, just because the difference between these guys doesn't seem to be that big. It'll be interesting to see what the depth actually does look like at cornerback, and then safety. Obviously, Aaron Maddox, uh, Jr. I think he's probably a starter. He, the, Everybody's been saying good things about him. Mel Tucker's been saying glowing things about him. We're excited to see what he looks like this season. Freshman Mark Perry is potentially in that safety rotation. Trey Udofia, who I mentioned earlier, uh, knocked the pass into Makai Blackman's hands. I think all these guys are going to see the field. And it'll be interesting to see with a guy like Mel Tucker, who knows the secondary, uh, how how he pieces all of them together, which situations he puts who where. And it's a very complicated playbook like we've talked about before. And I almost wonder if he'll break it up into sections and give each of these guys smaller pieces, at least early in the season, so that they know their role in, you know, this is their playbook. This is somebody else's. This is like a smaller group of plays just to make it a little bit easier because these are a lot of young guys who might be overwhelmed I know talking to Delrick Abrams also today, uh, as well as Makai, both of them said it was tough to figure out how exactly everything was going to work in this new defense. It took some time studying the playbook, but they've started a little study group uh, with a couple of the younger guys as well, and they study with the safeties. They'll uh, study during lunch, do all that kind of stuff. So they, they seem to be putting the time in. They say that Mel Tucker's working with them in individual drills every day. And that's been helpful, uh, makes it easier for them to play fast. We've been there have been a lot of questions about this secondary group, but there are a lot of reasons to be hopeful. And uh, Mel Tucker is probably the biggest one. So I know that's a lot about the secondary. So let's move on to a couple of the other spots on the defense. Um, none of them really uh, as as exciting as what we saw as Makai Blackman. But John Van Deest, who we've talked a lot about, when Nate Landman came on the show, Nate talked a lot about Van Deest as well. Uh, and he was uh, the starting inside linebacker alongside Nate Landman, uh, as we expected. It seems like that will be his job. That's my read on the situation. We also saw uh, a rotation at safety. Um Aaron Maddox, who was listed number one, was rotating with junior Darian Rakestraw. So we'll see what that rotation looks like later on. I think those were the only big differences in the depth chart from what I saw was I think Rakestraw did get the 
first reps with the ones. I could be wrong about that, but he was definitely working in, as were a couple of the other uh, cornerbacks and safeties. Another note on Davion Taylor, which is interesting. And so I just noticed on one play, he started to blitz and then pulled up. He was unblocked off the edge, had a free run at the quarterback, and he may have just pulled up two steps in because he was going to sack the quarterback, but it almost looked like some sort of stunt because he stepped, he, he could have taken a couple more steps back and picked off a pass because the quarterback threw the ball right over his head. It did seem like he kind of just pulled up. It's probably nothing. It probably isn't something that was run. He just didn't want to hit the quarterback. But if that was planned, he could have, I mean, so as a quarterback, you're taught, you, you see where the blitzer's coming from, you throw the ball that direction. You, there's a receiver open behind him more often than not. So by kind of faking that blitz, taking a couple steps back, he could have picked off the pass. And I wonder if that was what was supposed to happen or if that was a little thing. Um, took a note on it just because I thought it was interesting. Um, we've heard a lot about how there's going to be a lot of motion on defense. Guys are going to be moving around before the snap. We didn't see a lot of that on Saturday, which surprised me. I was really excited. That was one of the things I was looking for. Uh, Nate Landman's going to be calling out checks. He's going to have usually three options on every play to choose from. He's going to decide you know, where blitzers are coming from, who has what coverage assignments. It's going to be pretty intense stuff. It's going to be difficult it's going to be a challenge for him rick gambo was making those reads like that last year and they were not nearly as challenging as the reads will be this year and there will be more options this year as well i'm sure they were still making calls before the snap but you didn't see as much motion on defense as we've been led to believe there will be um again it was the third practice of camp so maybe some of the more complex stuff is coming later on but that was something I was looking for that I didn't see. Um, also, I thought some of the zone coverage was just a little bit soft. But that's about it. The The story of the day is that Makai Blackman was an animal. He was unstoppable. He was everywhere. He was breaking up passes. He was picking balls off. And, you know, that's one of the big question marks on this team is the secondary. There are a couple of others. Uh, on defense it's mostly that defensive line as well as the secondary and it was it's tougher to gauge them when they're not wearing full pads they're not wearing the pants they don't quite go full speed everybody's staying up you're not finishing tackles all that kind of stuff but of the two things you were really looking for for guys to step up you saw one of them you saw the secondary do it um so yeah that's that's basically my read on what happened with the defense uh, it's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer, established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. 
And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them, so RSVP and have a good time. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. All right, moving along now to the offensive side of the ball. This was not quite as much fun to watch and it won't be as much fun to talk about. The offense didn't look as good as you'd like. Obviously, LaVisca Chenault was unstoppable. He'd have guys draped on him, and he'd make catches, brush him off, and run down the field. He'd, you know, get open downfield, pull in balls. He he played really well. The problem was the quarterbacks. They just didn't have it today. Um, I think the biggest note here with the quarterbacks is that redshirt freshman Blake Stenstrom was working with the twos quite a bit. Um, Tyler Lytle and Sam Neuer were expected to be kind of the two and three in some order, maybe with Stenstrom challenging them, but Stenstrom was right in the mix. And so we could see him. He's from Valor Christian, six foot four, two fifteen, decently high recruit. Um, he could be next up for the buffs. So that's something to watch out for as the Buffs begin to release depth charts to see exactly where he stands because he may be the number two at some point in the season. Now that we've got that note taken care of, we can talk a little bit more about what the quarterbacks looked like, and they did not look good. Uh, Steven Montez was missing passes. He would throw them low. He would throw them high. He'd throw them in front of receivers, behind receivers. It it wasn't good. It it's kind of it was surprising to me because I've heard so much about how he is somebody who can make all of the throws but doesn't always make the right reads. And he really had problems with both. It wasn't that he was making the wrong reads. It was just that they were late. It's it seemed like there were a lot of situations where a receiver would come open and you'd think, "Wow, if that ball was there right now, this would be a great play." And the good news is that this is still early in camp. There's rust to be worked through. He's learning a new system, and he's running it for the first time. Maybe those reads speed up. And I, I do think that they speed up, but it'll be interesting to see exactly how much they speed up because they, they do need to be quicker if he's going to compete in the Pac-12 because this was ugly. And none of the other quarterbacks really looked like much better. It was the same thing where the reads were just late it wasn't that they were wrong it was just that they were late if they were decisive put the ball where they need to be with anticipation then things would have looked a lot better for that offense and I think it is promising for Montez that the other quarterbacks were reading things a little bit slowly as too it does point to you know this being a new playbook with with new reads that they haven't seen before so hopefully 
hopefully those speed up. Um, a note on the running backs, freshman Jaron Mangum was working with the ones all day. Uh, true freshman, he's a big back. I think they have him listed as 6'2", 215. He's really fast. He's quick. And the only question is whether, as a freshman, he's ready to come in and contribute right away. I still think that it's going to be a group effort. Alex Fontenot, a sophomore, will be right in the mix. Deion Smith, a redshirt freshman as well. Uh, maybe even some Jarek Broussard. It'll be interesting with him just because I think he is the fourth running back. Uh, but he's their speed guy. And you could see him as a receiving back becoming a factor as a guy if they keep running the pistol, which we did see a lot of on Saturday. There have been rumors there'd be a pistol offense. And we saw a lot of pistol. We saw a lot of three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver sets. And they have guys like LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, and uh, Broussard as well who can really line up in the backfield and contribute back there, but also line up outside. So the flexibility that gives the buffs is that when they go into the huddle, the defense won't know exactly what they're trying to do, and they won't know which personnel to account for, whether it's something to stop the pistol or something to stop a three, maybe even four wide receiver set, because they can even line up in the pistol and then flex these guys out. So there is some versatility there with Broussard that could help him see the field ahead of guys like uh, Fontenot, Mangum, and Smith, who are more of your traditional runner than, you know, slot receiver types as well. Uh, at receiver, Tony Brown looked very good. Um, he looked like a veteran. He wasn't dropping passes. Uh, I, I, he, I think he did drop one. Outside of that, there weren't many others. He had one incredible grab. Montez left a ball way behind him on a drag route. He was already, uh, so like he lined up on the left side, I think in the slot, came all the way across the uh, offensive line, and then caught the ball kind of near like where the other slot on the other side of the field would line up. The ball was three, four feet behind him. He reached back with one hand, grabbed it, pulled it in, and kept running. Um, we saw a couple other really great grabs from these receivers i was impressed by all of their hands i think dimitri stanley may have had a couple of drops which is disappointing because i think he will contribute this year but dylan thomas a redshirt freshman wide receiver had a, a great catch where i mean a cornerback had position on him uh inside he kind of boxed thomas out and thomas reached over him and actually like grabbed the ball with both hands pulled it into the cornerback's face mask first and then was able to like yank it up over his head. Uh, he, he should not have been able to catch that one. Uh, Darian Jones, redshirt senior tight end, who was primarily working with the threes, but I think he could be right in the rotation with anyone else. Uh, I think he actually got a shout-out from uh, Mel Tucker recently, but Jones was in double maybe triple coverage had arms all over in front of him was able to like reach through and pull down a pass that he shouldn't have been able to um so those are some good signs you want to see those flashy plays from your receivers didn't see quite as many of those from guys like lavisca and katie and part of that is because montez was off and you know some people there were saying that montez never practices well which is another good sign at one point i think lavisca after Montez missed him, uh, I can't remember, maybe he like threw a ball on the ground, got frustrated. 
just was visibly upset that Montez missed him. And, you know, that's just the kind of stuff that's going to happen when you have a lot of guys who need the ball. And if the quarterback can't get it there, there's a lot of a lot of potential for things to get just a little bit ugly. Um, I want to go back to Dimitri Stanley for a second. You know, he's been hyped up as this speedy little route runner as a redshirt freshman who should, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up beating Tony Brown for that third receiver spot, that starting slot receiver spot. He's 5'11", 185, super speedy, and I was really impressed by the wiggle he has at the top of his routes. He can shake, fake like he's going one way, turn back the other so quickly, move his hips. He needs to work on his hands. He still doesn't seem like he always knows how to use those skills, if that makes sense. Like, he'll throw a move out there and still won't get separation, and you're just like, how did you not get more separation? There's, there's still... He, he needs to be more refined. He, I think he's a guy who's going to have a lot of flashy plays. There's going to be, you know, he, he's going to shake a corner out of his shoes and get huge separation, send the corner going the other way, catch the ball and run downfield. And it's going to be a highlight on Buff's Twitter for a long time. But then there are also going to be a lot of plays where he just gets covered up just because he doesn't know how to consistently use those tools. And it's going to take some time for him. On the offensive line, Tim Lenott was working at guard, and Colby Purcell was at center. That's how it was last season, but they flipped it in the spring. Um, I had a chance to talk to Chris Kapilovic, uh, the uh, the new offensive line coach who came here from North Carolina, and he said that in another week or two, they want to know for sure what this line will look like, um, whether it's line at guard or Purcell at guard, whether it's Hambright on the left or right, uh, maybe Frank Philippe gets one of those tackle spots. So they do have some things to iron out. Sounds like the next couple weeks they'll know for sure, and hopefully they'll tell us. They don't always. Um, yeah, so running back went Mangum with Dion Smith second, and then Alex Fontenot third. It's going to be rotation, so you don't need to read too much into that kind of stuff, but that's what we saw. Uh, there were a lot of RPO looks, which I liked. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's a simple read. Uh, make things easy when you can, but then don't just use that. Make sure you get something going downfield as well. Vontae Chenault, uh, LaVisca Chenault's little brother, he's a freshman so he was going up against other freshmen. This was way down the depth chart. I don't think there's really any chance he doesn't redshirt this season. But he looked good. He's fast. They were hitting him on these drag routes. He was able to get away from guys. There was some downfield stuff. There was a corner route where he got free and caught a ball on the sideline. You know, it's still early on. He's probably not going to contribute much this year. But he was a guy who, you know, when we're not used to these numbers you see number five flash across and you're like, Oh, who's number five. And you look and it says Vontae Chenault. And you're like, Oh, interesting. Like that's, that's what you want to see from a guy like that. And he was flashing those types of skills all day. Again, needs to be more refined, but he has the tools. Another note on LaVisca Chenault. And this is one that's going to get just a little bit contentious, but he was fielding punts on Saturday. They were punt coverage drills so it's everybody who's going to be making tackles. Everybody's going to be on punt team. 
that's what they're working on. So, you know, if the if the returner they want is on punt team as well, he was busy. He wasn't back there catching punts. So there's there's a lot of reasons to think that maybe this doesn't mean all that much. But LaVisca Chenault was part of that rotation of guys who they put back catching punts in punt coverage drills, along with Katie Nixon, uh, Dimitri Stanley, and Tony Brown. All receivers, which I thought was interesting. Uh, we actually got to talk to Mel Tucker about this today, and he said that there's a chance that LaVisca Chenault is the Buffs punt returner. After that, he said, you know, the number one thing is catching the ball, and then after that, you get what you can get. There'll be situations where we just want a fair catch. Uh, we don't know who our guys are. So the fact that he put that so close to talking about LaVisca as a potential punt returner means that it would probably be in fair catch only situations where you say go out there wave before you even see the kick and then just catch the ball don't get hurt but i mean there there is a real chance that he thinks i mean it's not that he thinks lavisca would be a good returner we all know that lavisca chenault would probably be a top two returner in the pack 12 if they put him back there the question is just whether it's worth it and you know this is just a kind of side note, but if you think back to the conversation we had about what it takes for a receiver to win the Heisman, a lot of those guys were returners. So, you know, just just put that in your head. Uh, I think that that's a lot of what we saw from the offense. There was a lot more motion before the snap. They were throwing the ball downfield a little bit. The quarterbacks looked bad, and that kind of ruined everything. Running backs looked all right. O-line, you know, looked all right. Tight ends were actually contributing a little bit. Some RPOs, some pistol looks, some 3-4 wide looks. Um, Not much under center. But, you know, it's the third day of camp, so with 22 practices after that, a a lot will change before the season starts. Just always interesting to see where they're at right now. Before we move on to my conversation with Will Sherman from Saturday, I want to tell you guys about this awesome promo that we're running at BSN Denver. If you use the code SCOBUFFS, you can get $10 off an annual subscription that brings the price down to $34.99, just like a couple dollars a month. It's not much. I I highly recommend it. Uh, We're dropping notes every day of camp. usually like over a thousand words like 1300 words basically it's like four or five mini stories uh today we talked about uh who's going to be the punt returner based on mel tucker's comments i talked to delrick abrams and i talked to uh, makai blackman about what they think of the new defense what they think of working with mel tucker how they've been studying um makai talking about the transition to playing some star. Um, We talked about uh, in another section, all the guys who Mel Tucker listed in his press conference that impressed him. It's like five or six young guys. One of them was Carson Wells, who he said he thinks is probably the most underrated player on the team, which I thought was interesting because he's a guy who really flashed on tape last year. And I was surprised that we didn't hear more hype about him just because he is so fast surprisingly fast for a guy who's 6'4", 245. So yeah, we have those those stories on there. Uh, check them out. We have a bunch of other stuff on the website as well. We're posting stuff like that every single day. Um, code SCOBUFFS, 
S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S. It'll get you a year-long subscription for $34.99, and you get a free shirt, too. We got the SCO shirt that we just dropped when we relaunched BSN Buffs, which I think is awesome. There's the Philip Lindsay homegrown shirt that's uh, Kyle Freeland's favorite, the Rockies pitcher. He's always wearing his uh, hoodie with that design on it. There's another Phil Lindsay design that actually Phil designed himself for us. He gets a cut of all this, obviously. So, yeah, it's a lot of cool stuff. SCO Buffs, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, $34.99 for a year-long subscription. The exclusive right to leave questions on the podcast and, you know, a free shirt, which is pretty cool, too. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Into the final segment now. Uh, like I said, I want to play this conversation I had with Will Sherman for you guys. Uh, he's a pretty cool guy. Actually, I was talking with him for another story I'm working on about the offensive line, and Nate Landman walked up behind us and said, hey, uh, you should probably just get Will on the show. And I was like, huh, maybe I should. And uh, about 20 minutes later, I was walking around trying to find somebody to get on the show with me, and Will was the only guy in the room not talking to anybody. So I just grabbed him and was like, you know, Nate said we should do it. You want to give it a run? And so we did, and here's what happened. Just a heads up, the audio is a little bit choppy for like the first eight seconds, but then it's nice and clear after that. Hey guys, I'm here at Buffs Media Day, sitting with Will Sherman, the tackle, Pac-12, honorable mention preseason. He was honorable mention all Pac-12 last year. Uh, Will, how's it going? So far, so good. Appreciate you coming out. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. Um, so today was also the Buffs' only open practice of camp. Uh, it's a chance for the fans and the media to see what's been going on behind the scenes, where the team's at. How do you feel you guys performed today in front of the fans? Uh, I think we did pretty good. You know, first day in pass, we had a pretty physical practice. Um, I think the online established, you know, that we were going to be a lot more physical this year today. And, you know, something I was very excited to see. And what about after practice when all the fans are down on the field? Like, is that fun for you guys to get to see all of them? Oh, definitely. It's great to see all the kids, you know, and all the fans who are excited to see us, you know. Uh, you know, we do it for them, and, you know, it's great to see them happy. Yeah, uh, we're a little under a month away from the season opener. And that's when we'll finally get to see you guys actually on the field competing against somebody. And this is something that I've talked to a couple guys about, but you play Colorado State the first week, then Nebraska the second week. Which of those games do you get, like, hyped up for? Like, they're both rivalries, <laughs> but... Definitely both of them, honestly. I mean, CSU and Denver, there's nothing like it playing our in-state rival and then week two playing Nebraska you know we had a history of with at the University of Colorado and you know had a very exciting game 
in Lincoln last year, so I'm excited to play them at home this year. Yeah, when you're part of a game like that, do you do you ever just while while you're on the sideline maybe just think like, wow, this is such a cool thing to be here in Lincoln watching all these things go down? Definitely, you know, growing up watching college football, you know, on Saturdays you would always see games like that on ESPN or ABC, and you know, to finally get to be a part of that, you know, it was a dream come true, and then to win. To win, you know, in an atmosphere like that was really just a cherry on top. So this is another kind of hot topic around the Pac-12. Uh, Commissioner Larry Scott said that he thinks that 9 a.m. kickoffs Pacific time would be something worth trying. What do you think of starting games? I guess they'd be like 10 a.m. here. Yeah, I don't, I'm not too sure about that one. You know, <laughs> I can see how it was beneficial to the East Coast, but I don't know. We would have to wake up pretty early, you know, to start preparing for game day. You know, eat our pregame meal and then get here pretty early probably before the sun's even up so yeah what time do you think you would get here probably like seven o'clock really yeah so probably wake up at five (laughs) eat at six and then go through our walkthroughs and then get here at seven so yeah because you have to go to school too like you have to pay like homework and i feel like that would mess up your entire schedule right (laughs) yeah it would be interesting to see you know, how he would work that out, but, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people here are not excited about that idea. But, uh, so you're from Dallas, mm-hmm. came to Boulder. Yep. Uh, what, what, what do you think of Boulder? It's a very unique place, you know, a lot different than the South. And, you know, I'm glad that I could see something different, you know, and I love it here. Um, a lot of questions about the offensive line. Uh-huh. What What's your take? Why Why should Buffs fans be excited to see what you guys can do? I mean, you know, in the past we haven't really been able to produce that much. You know, we've had playmakers, you know, that held our own, like Philip Lindsay, mm-hmm. and, you know, our receiving course. But I mean, this year I definitely think we're going to contribute. So, with us being at our highest level, you know, I definitely feel like our playmakers around us can be even better. You know, with our being with us being at our best. Yeah, like, is that, does it get frustrating for you? Like, when you go back and watch tape of games last year where you guys did get pushed around a little bit, is, is it easy, is it tough to stay positive? Oh, uh, no, you know, we just use that as motivation. You yeah. Know? We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the back of our heads, we know that, you know, we have progressed a lot. And on a day-to-day basis, we are getting better and better and, you know, preparing so that in 27 days, you know, we're ready to put on show. New offensive line coach, Chris Kapilovic. Mm-hmm. What, what have you learned from him so far? Uh, you know, bring energy, and as he says, bring the juice every day. You know, whether I'm tired or whether I got some good sleep and I'm, you know, feeling lively, you know, regardless, I just need to bring energy. And, I mean, he holds, he holds all of us to a very high standard. So, you know, when we are playing on Saturdays, Although we might not like it during practice, how he's always getting on us, you know, we're going to love him for it on Saturdays when we're succeeding. There's a whole new offense, too. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it tough to learn all that stuff? Um, at the beginning it was, but, you know, throughout this year, you know, our football IQ in general has gone up because I feel like we run such a pro-style offense now, and I definitely feel like it's going to help us in the future. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was difficult to learn at first, but in the long run, being able to learn a new offense like this will definitely help all of us. Yeah, and it's something like being able to learn a new offense, mm-hmm. like just going through that as you look forward, mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be nice knowing that that's something that you've done before and something yeah. that you can kind of build off of. Definitely.
I think that that's pretty much all we have today. Thanks again for coming on. Thank Hope you, you have fun. Maybe we can do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Some interesting stuff there. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed hearing how, honestly, all of the new coaches have af affected how the Buffs football players appreciate football or approach how they play football consistently they say like this is the smartest i've ever felt about football or i understand how hard you have to work to be good at this game and that's i, I had another conversation with will before this and a couple of other guys too like arlington hambright tim lanott actually kapilovic himself but they all said that same thing where it's like you can tell he cares about us you can tell he knows what he's talking about you can tell that he knows how to teach us how to be better at this game and if you're a bus fan that's what you want to hear is that these coaches are competent and capable you know talking to kd he said you know these teams this year don't know what we are like we're totally different because we have i mean he really didn't mince words he said like we have a real coaching staff we have a real training staff strength staff so hopefully all that pays off on the field. It sounds like all the guys are happy with the changes that have been made and we will know soon enough whether it will pay off on the field. August 30th buffs take on the Rams at mile high stadium in Denver. I'll be there. Of course, hopefully you guys will be too. Uh, that's it for today. We'll talk again tomorrow about some of what happened at the media portion. Obviously you heard, uh, from uh will uh i've talked about a couple of my other conversations there but we'll dig deeper into those and talk about a couple other things tomorrow thanks for riding with me i'll see you guys tomorrow bye guys See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh -huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get
bring your Bible. Crank back, blind side, flat line, no revival. Get them bust, get them bust, mess them up, we say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it, play.